Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. I'm your host, Robin Robertson, and I first want to say thank you. A huge thank you to all of the listeners and subscribers that are part of this homeschooling podcasting family. We've been here for over two years, and it's been so worth it, and the podcast has been continually growing and growing every month. And as much as I started this as a resource for families like ours, families that had questions that we wanted answered on this learning journey, or fears that we wanted help facing and dealing with, or a broader community that we wanted to be part of, I also started this podcast as an encouragement for change. One, we are so busy creating learning experiences for our kids. I feel it's also important to create learning experiences for ourselves as parents as well. And I want Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids to be a resource and learning experience for you. And secondly, I believe that the education system needs to change. It's a cumbersome beast that is having a hard time adapting. And my question is, how much longer do we say that kids aren't working in the system before we question whether it's the system that's not working for the kids, the system that we're trying to stuff them into? Because schools were built for the industrial age. And our society is now leaving the industrial age and has entered the information age or the digital age. That's the way we are moving forward. And don't get me wrong, there is great work happening within the system, the school system as well. I know this firsthand from the work that I do. And people in the school system are not evil wizards trying to crush our children's hopes and dreams. There are many caring individuals that want to help and support kids and make the world better. But it can get hard when there's many factors playing against you. One, when you're raised and educated in a certain way and everyone around you is doing the same thing over and over again and has been doing the same thing for many, many years, it's hard to take the space to stop and look around and say, wait a minute, I need to search for something different and do it. Many are overburdened and there's many educators in the education system that are confined to its structure and walls and mandates. So questions and exploration and change can become very stifled. And the other thing is, if you don't have the firsthand experience or access to others that are doing things differently with success, then you have no reference point to help guide you. And we're all human. You know, most are scared to be the early outliers or the early voice demanding change. We are wired for connection as human beings. So to be that person who's essentially saying, you know, I may have to step out of this circle in order to help make change happen, it can be pretty daunting. So I want this podcast to be a reference and a place to hold examples for change. So for those that don't know me, I can share a little bit very quickly about myself My background is in international business, but over the many years, I am always drawn back to working with kids and supporting kids and doing something with learning and education. On my own and with my family and with my husband, we have traveled extensively. I've worked in business 
locally and overseas, but I've also taught English overseas. I have been a private tutor. I've created and run kids programs and project-based classes. I've worked as a director in private education and private schools, and I'm currently a public school board trustee. And yes, which seems on the opposite side, I am still an unschooling or home educating, natural learning parent. And my husband and children and I, we've been doing this natural learning journey for almost eight years now. Through this podcast, I hope to continue to inspire and encourage you because I'm convinced there's no one size fits all answer for all families in the world, for all families' educational needs. But I think there are unique solutions that can fit to each unique educational need. And through my podcast, I want to help you find it. And I want to dive deeper and spread the word. So I do need your help. I had mentioned in an episode in the fall that I was looking to create a Patreon page. And because producing this podcast comes with a price tag for me, there's the time that I put into it, the cost for podcasting equipment and editing, web hosting and development, and the cost for domains. All of that is a cost out of my pocket. So my ask is this, if you've gotten value from my podcast, please consider financial support through Patreon so I can produce even better content on a more frequent basis and continue to spread my mission. The podcast will continue and for my patrons, I will be adding special bonuses. There will be Ask Me Anything sessions, patron-only content, special draws for patrons and more. So you can go to the Patreon link on my website or in the show notes. And as always, feedback is greatly appreciated. So please continue to update me on what is and is not working for you. So now to this episode, what we're going to be doing today is a question and answer episode because I always get many questions from listeners, whether it's around learning, homeschooling, unschooling, and our family's personal experiences. So what I'm doing today is I'm taking a couple of the questions and I'm going to focus on answering a couple of questions from the list. And if this works, if you like this episode, let me know if you want more Q&A formats like this, let me know and I will dive into it more. I will go back to the list of questions and address more of them as well. I will be doing special Ask Me Anythings on Patreon as well, but I will continue the special Ask Me Anythings for my patrons on Patreon. So the questions that I'm going to be addressing today are around homeschooling, unschooling, some whys and hows. So the first question is, what is unschooling? And why does your family choose to unschool instead of traditional homeschool? And why did your family move from traditionally homeschooling to unschooling? Next question is, if we unschool, how do we know that our children are actually learning? especially if we don't assign them tests or assignments. So that's a great question as well. The next question I will answer is, how do parents afford to stay home with their children and homeschool or unschool? And what happens when you want to home educate or unschool, but your spouse or partner is not on the same page? So these questions, as when I answer them, what I also hope to do is to be as succinct as possible, to give examples, and to reference other episodes or resources that you can also turn to for additional information. Okay, so let's dive into the first. What is unschooling, and why does your family choose to unschool instead of traditionally homeschool? So first, I think I'm going to answer the first part of the question, which is, what is unschooling? 
And I think this answer may vary depending on who you ask. But I believe that the basics of unschooling is learning driven by the learner and not by the traditional structure of schooling. It's learning that is child-led and that supports children's interests, passions, and curiosity. It supports children's freedom and their freedom to play, learn, and grow. Learning that supports autonomy. It's not driven by the curriculum, tests, textbooks, and standard comparisons that uh, structured schooling does. It's very much unlike (laughs) structured schooling. And I think a big part of unschooling or the major difference between unschooling and homeschooling is how you approach learning, the process of learning. In schooling or traditional homeschooling, parents are like teachers in the classroom many times. Many times it's replicating what's happening at school, but in your home. Yes, absolutely, there's differences, but a lot of times the structure and the top-down method is repeated as it is in school. So there might be certain standards that are followed, lesson plans, homework tests or curriculum or grade assignments. But an unschooling day looks very different, where the learner has a lot of control and choice in their learning. Now, I actually really like Pat Faranga's definition. Pat Faranga has been a past guest on this podcast. He has a wealth of information. He is a homeschooling, unschooling dad himself. All of his children are now adults. Both he and his wife homeschooled their kids. And he actually worked a lot extensively with John Holt. He was pretty well his right-hand man. And he is the person that runs John Holt's website and foundation now. But Pat Faranga gives the definition that I think was originally a definition that also came from John Holt, who, by the way, is the person that originally coined the term unschooling. But the definition goes something like this. Unschooling is allowing your children as much freedom to learn about and explore the world as you can comfortably bear as their parent because it's also a process. It's a process to let go of very many old structures and beliefs and values around learning. And that process can take a while. I know usually the term de-schooling gets thrown in where it's recommended that parents and kids go through a de-schooling process, which means a time where you just actually allow freedom and space to gradually let go of what you know and what you're used to in the structure of schooling so that you can allow space for more self-direction and autonomy. But I think as well, maybe what I want to do is give an example of homeschooling and unschooling. So maybe in a homeschooling year, you have a set curriculum, your kids wake up at a certain time, you maybe have time allotted for certain subjects, learning is divided into subjects, and it's very much you give them the information and they, uh, you teach and they, they take in the information that is provided for them. It's not as much of a choice, but it's following a certain standard or curriculum. And of course, everyone's homeschool is going to look different in each family, but this is just a very generalized example. In unschooling, it's very learner-driven. If your child wants to read for the entire day, you support that. You make sure they have the books that they're interested in reading. Maybe it's art or play is a huge part of learning, and it's absolutely supported by unschoolers. Really, unschooling operates with the faith that children are naturally curious, that they will follow their interests and learn, and it's giving the space in order to do that. It's driven by your passion and interests that you want to learn. 
So I hope I have given a clear enough example of unschooling and homeschooling. I do also want to say that with unschooling, learners do take classes. They can follow curriculum. They can have teachers. I think, you know, for example, you know, say your child or you're a budding plant enthusiast. And one of the things that will really help you to learn more and to get more information is taking a botany class from a local botanist or from a local space or even a school or a learning center. Now, they might have a certain program or curriculum that they follow. It's taught by a teacher, but this will be the best fit for your learning. And so that's what you choose to do. The difference is, is you're not taking it because you have to, because it's part of a structured curriculum that you're following along. You're taking it because it supplements your learning and your passion and your interest in that way. The next part of the question is, why did we move from traditionally homeschooling to unschooling? I think for us, it's a natural progression. We were traveling with our kids, and that's the reason why we started homeschooling, because we wanted a schedule that allowed freedom and flexibility to travel with our kids. And as we were traveling with our kids, every single day, there was so much that they were encountering that was new, so much that they were encountering that was giving them a different perspective and experience, and so much that they were learning that book work started to become an afterthought. And honestly, in their first half of the school year that we started homeschooling and traveling, they finished, the school had sent them work to complete, and they finished it really, really quickly. And we only did homeschooling in the mornings. We woke up in the morning and did it. And we had, we were done before lunchtime, and we had the entire afternoons to be free and play. And we went to the beach almost every afternoon. The kids played outside. We visited family. We were the first place that we were was Jamaica. We were living in Jamaica. We were living with my dad and we would tour the island. We would go on trips to the market. You know, we lived everyday life. We would visit friends and neighbors and family. And what they were learning was immense. It was, I mean, I, you can't replicate it in having them sit down and doing phonics books in the mornings, right? So, Really, it was a natural progression. We did continue to follow our provincial curriculum because where we live in Canada, in the province of Alberta, homeschoolers have to register with the government, the education department, as homeschoolers. And you actually have a choice to follow the provincial curriculum or opt out. And at the time, we still were following the provincial curriculum. And I was just modifying and creating as we went. So over time, we did less and less structured schooling, and then I would just reference back to the curriculum to see what outcomes were met and that they were meeting their outcomes. And then I was going more and more with my children's interests. And actually, I didn't even know that the term, there was a term called unschooling. I had no idea. And it was actually not until after when I was reading about it, I thought, you know, we're not, I, actually, I thought what I was doing was kind of strange. And so I was reading more about learning because I think that's something that you do. You start to read more and take in more information and find out more about how kids learn and, and what you're doing. And I wanted to see if I was the only one kind of following this approach. And I stumbled upon the term unschooling. But I also want to say that I had a certain experience that I think was the last catalyst for us to choose to stop following any curriculum. And it was with my son, and it really shifted my perspective. Uh, we were still following our provincial curriculum, and I was just creating the resources instead and matching it with my children's interests as best as I could. But there was this one subject that came up, and it was actually social studies. And for that particular year, 
it required that the student studies four countries. They have to study four specific countries chosen by the curriculum. And it was actually India, Peru, uh, Ukraine, and Tunisia. And the point is around global humanity and understanding that your similarities and differences to those around you in the world. And that's kind of the general outcome. And you do that by studying these four different countries that are different from your own and what they do and how kids grow and what they learn and their you know environment and things like that. Well, my son didn't want to study those countries. He actually was already learning about two countries that he was really interested in. There was animals and habitat there that he was drawn to. And he was already on the self-study of these two countries. The two countries were Borneo and Tahiti. And he was fascinated by them. He would watch documentaries on them. He would find these travel shows about Borneo and Tahiti, especially about Tahiti. And he wanted to read about animals, habitat that was centered around Borneo and Tahiti. So he didn't want to study these other countries. And he asked me, why did he have to study these other four countries when he had two countries that he was already learning about and he was really interested in? So why did he have to do these other four countries? He didn't see the meaning in learning about these other four countries for him. And it was very point blank. And the answer I gave him after it came out of my mouth didn't really make any sense. You know, you say it and then you hear it and you think, wait a minute, what did I just say? What does that really mean? And the answer was, well, because the curriculum that we're using says that we have to do this. And I thought, wow, that is that real learning when you're doing something just because someone else said you had to, to do this, to learn this arbitrarily, especially when my son had already met those outcomes for that unit. And I knew he had already met those outcomes just because of what he was living as his own personal experience. My children are born into a mixed race family. My son in particular was born in a country that has no blood or family relation to his own. My son is actually born in South Korea. He had by that time in his life, he had already been living in three separate countries And he very clearly understood global humanity. He understood what it was like to live as a minority in a place or as a majority in a place. He very well understood similarities and differences between himself and others. He had personally experienced himself. And by living life, he had already met those outcomes. So telling him to study something just because the curriculum tells you to do it in order to achieve certain learning outcomes, it just didn't cut it anymore. And that was the time when we stopped following the curriculum. And I really let my children's interests guide their learning. So I hope that is a succinct point as to why our family chose to move from traditionally homeschooling to unschooling. So the next question is, how do you know if your kids are actually learning if you unschool and you're not testing them or giving them assignments? I think the biggest thing is I'll answer that maybe with a question. How do you know if your kids are learning when they are at home or at school? Before your kids attend school, are they learning or do they only start learning in life once they enter a classroom? We know that before our kids enter the school building and the classroom, they are absolutely learning. They're learning how to walk. They're learning how to talk. Some may be learning how to count and read before they enter a classroom without even having direct instruction. Do we have to have only report cards and tests to measure our child's learning? 
for us, how do we, I think part of this question as well as how do we measure their learning or how do we, yeah, really, how do we measure their learning by not having tests and assignments? Well, I think it's usually through watching them, uh, engaging with them, playing with them, being engaged in conversation with them, and seeing how when we are engaged or we're observing what they're doing, how they are demonstrating learning in their everyday life which is constant, especially for unschooling. You believe that learning happens all the time. It doesn't happen in segmented times and areas or in segmented physical spaces. So the biggest thing I think is communication with them, speaking with them. And, you know, here's a few examples that sometimes I think we maybe take for granted in measuring their learning, but that happen in everyday life. Maybe when your child's young and you're driving and they see a stop sign and they maybe read it out loud or they try to sound it out loud or they point out that it's a different color from the other signs or that it's a different shape. All of that is a demonstration that learning is happening. Um, It's a demonstration of reading. It's a demonstration of math right there. Uh, What about the books? Maybe you read to them regularly and there is a favorite book that they have that they bring to you over and over and over again. And I know sometimes maybe those books annoy us, but there's so much learning happening in that time and space. So they are connecting with that book. They are understanding that book. Maybe they retell you the story as you're reading with them. Maybe they've memorized some of the pages, pointing out the pictures. Maybe they talk about what's happening in the photographs or pictures. All of that is constant learning happening. Or what about when you're in the kitchen and they're helping you cook or if they're baking or cooking themselves, they go to a store and there's something they see that they want to buy and they say they want to come home and open up their piggy bank and see how much money that they have so that they can buy it. All of that is practical, everyday learning. If you go out on a walk and you're talking about the weather, the plant life, the wildlife around you, the habitat, the food that's growing, all of that is part of learning. I think for us, we get so used to thinking that learning happens when you're sitting in a desk in a classroom with someone standing over you, instructing what you're doing. We think that learning can only happen that way when actually, as humans, we're always actively engaged in the learning process. And I think what happens is in this classroom setting, There's tools or there's standards that are set in order to judge and measure classrooms and schools and students and children. But ask even any teacher and they will tell you that that isn't really an accurate and uh, effective way, having just tests and assignments to gauge a person's learning. I guess my concern with that as well is what happens instead is it doesn't necessarily uh, measure gauge someone's learning. What happens is many times it's telling a child or a person that what we're gauging and measuring is their worth or their value. Your worth or value is higher if you get a higher grade. Whether you fully understand it or whether you just memorized and regurgitated it, that grade is a measure. And therefore, maybe someone who got a lower grade is not worth or value uh, as much. And that's what ends up happening. Sometimes maybe if you give it three weeks and ask the same person who got a high grade to explain and apply what was on that exam, sometimes they just can't do it. They've memorized the information and not necessarily understood the information. Sometimes kids have a horrible week or night leading up to an exam. Circumstances happen in our everyday life and that changes everything. Is that a measure of their 
of how much they actually know and understand. Or maybe they have a hard time. They have it all in their head, but they have a hard time putting it down onto the paper. But if they went outside, they could show you exactly. They can demonstrate by what they do, understanding how much they understand that. So it's hard to just judge the measurement of your learning on a test or an assignment that way. I know something that comes up with home education and unschooling is something like video games. I've heard this of, well, what happens if my kids just want to play video games all the time? How are they actually learning? I don't know what they're actually learning. Well, have you ever sat down and actually taken the time to play video games with your child? Some of the games right now are crazy. They have to learn about periods of history. There's, in order to be a better player, there's a lot of reading that has to be done in order to enter a level, or they have to develop a certain strategy and planning to reach an area of level or level. I mean, one example is probably Fortnite, because that's a popular one right now. I know uh, the first time I sat down to play Fortnite with my kids, it took me so much time just to master the controls and directions and the movement. When I played video games as a kid, the movement was actually just forward, backward, and jumping up and down. And that was it. Now you choose a character. Like Fortnite, you find a place to fly in and land. You're checking your surroundings everywhere above, below. You can turn around in a circle, run, walk. You're amassing an arsenal, and you have to understand when to use it and use it wisely, what is best use is, building a defense, hiding, teaming up with others. These are all skills being learned and used, and I know it's difficult for me. You're planning, you're reading, you have strategy, you practice, and it's persevering through trying again and trying again and, and, and all of the, the wins. So I think we can actually give a little bit of credit for reaching the end. I do. I, I give my kids credit for being able to reach the end of a game when I can barely survive in the game for two minutes. So there are so many learning opportunities that can be captured in a time like this. There are so many learning opportunities that are captured in living everyday life. And I guess another question that comes around this is, well, if you're not doing that specific learning, if they went back into school or if they have to do certain those certain tests or assignments, how would they do? I'm not sure how they would do. Maybe they would do really well. Maybe they wouldn't. But I know one thing is at home, I'm not teaching to the exam. I'm not teaching to the test, which is usually what happens, right? You teach something specific and that's what you get tested on. So I can't say my kids right now are doing the great loyalist rebellion right now. Um, Maybe we're reading a little bit about it, but maybe in school they, I don't even know if they're doing, I don't even know if they actually study that in school at my kids' age right now. But the point is, is a lot of times you're, what you're teaching is to the test and unschooling, you're not following that specific order. Uh, So they might know some of the things on there, they might not. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not learning and they don't understand or that they can't, they can learn it in the future as well. I mean, I I always give the example as well, if a child comes from another country at the end of the year and has to take a certain exam, but English is not their first language. They've come from a country where their main studies are about their local areas and it has nothing to do with any areas in Canada. How will they do on the exam? They might not do very well, but does that mean that they aren't learning and they don't know anything? No, it doesn't mean that at all. So as well as a subpart to this question, I also 
understand that some want to want to know how is what their child's learning if you do have to measure it to an area or a subject then how do you do this and this is something actually that I can explore in another episode and I can give more examples to but here's a little example just using my my son for example so my son was really excited when the the new season of the show Meat Eater started released this fall. And once it was released, I think you had already watched every episode, you know, very quickly. And he loves wildlife, fishing and hunting. So this is a great show for him. It gives him a lot of information and interest and piques his passions. So right now he can tell me all about the local elk herd and why it's hard to find right now, why they're not out and around as much as they used to be. The factors that are impacting their behavior. He practices elk calls and he could tell me, you know, is this useful for a male or female and when the best time to use them is. I I don't know any of this information myself at all. He reads about wildlife and areas and environment and habitat. He watches shows about them. He goes out to hunt and to hike and to search. And do I know he's learning? Yes, he is absolutely learning. And if there's a checklist that I would say you had to complete, my example would be this. There is reading and reading comprehension in everything that he's reading about the animals, about the seasons, about the weather and the environment. He actually has to hear where we live. You have to do a hunter education certification course, and it's an online course, and you have to get certified through that course. So he did that course, and that is reading and watching videos. And then there's a test in the end. So there you go. He, he did a test. There's an example of a test that he did in order to get a certification. That is comprehension right there as well. He actually keeps an animal journal for each animal and the species of animals where he sketches and he writes down facts and informations about information about that specific animal. So that again is research, it is reading, it is writing, it is comprehension, it's organization and planning. And specifically, it's also science related. He's learning about biology of an animal, habitat, habits, weather. Uh, of the area and the the other the environment as well physical activity because he's outdoors hiking and carrying his backpack and moving there's math when he's judging and measuring distance setting up his scope when he's calculating and seeing patterns so i know he's learning because the biggest thing is that he's demonstrating this practical application in his everyday life uh, so that's just an example that i will leave with you okay so the next question is, I'm doing some, I'm, I'm actually taking this ex- word from word from one listener. I've had a few questions on this area, but I'm just going to use her specific question as the example. I'm doing some quick research today, and no matter what I find, I keep wondering the same thing. How do these parents afford to stay home with their children? It's a great question. Do you have guests that talk about this? insights on this, etc. I'm a teacher myself, so despite knowing I face a learning curve if I choose to keep my child home with me, what I really want to know is how on earth to afford it. That's such a good question. And I'll offer some personal experience and experiences from other families that I know. And actually, what I'm also going to do is whenever I reference anything like the Pat Faranga episode or the John Holt website, johnholtgws.com, I will also include it in the show notes as well. So I know homeschooling can be a big decision because it's a lifestyle choice. It's a lifestyle shift. It affects every aspect of the family life. There's time, there's parenting, health, and yes, of course, finances. 
So my family, as you know, we didn't plan to homeschool actually for this long originally. We decided to go traveling for a certain amount of time. And then we thought we would return back to our life in Canada and just keep on going. The kids go back to school and we would continue as we were continuing. Obviously, there was a huge change and huge change happened. And we kept on traveling for longer and living overseas for longer. And we didn't go back to life as it was. So what we did was I took a leave of absence from my work. My husband had started a new business and a business that could be mobile so we could travel. We stored many of our things. We got rid of many things. We minimized expenses and we rented at our home while we were gone to help us out. In the end, we ended up selling our home, but at first we were renting out our home. And we actually had a friend that, um, to be specific, that went in, we gave him some incentives to help manage our property while we were away. And he had good experience with this. So that's who took care of our home rental when we were away. Uh, we stays, we stay with family whenever we could. Our, the first part of our traveling journey, we lived with my dad. And when we lived in more expensive cities like Seoul, when we lived in South Korea, we lived cheaply because the rent was very high. So we didn't buy much. We lived simply. And we knew we were living out of a suitcase, so we didn't want to accumulate many things. Um, so life was pretty simple. Now that we're back on Can in Canada, we live actually on family land, and we live fairly minimally. Uh, one thing that I know our family does is we live by a budget. Um, and, and actually, this is something we've more recently done. My husband and I meet weekly to go over our weekly and monthly expenses. And we communicate that with our kids so that we're all in line financially and know what we're moving towards. And things just to keep our costs down. We try and eat at home more often. We pack food with us whenever we can. Those little things that also help. Our kids earn their own money as well for uh, to save and to buy things that they need or want. Um, we help them out with things they need, obviously, but we're all part, we're all, that's when we call that part of our home education experience is our financial literacy journey as a family as well. But I also work part-time. My work does take me out of the home quite a bit and I travel many times for my work. So my husband helps out a lot with our homeschooling. And if we're both working and are not home, then we rely on family quite a bit. Our family helps us out. Uh, my in-laws, the kids' grandparents, they do a lot of the uh, homeschooling help as well or home education help. Really, they're there for the kids and to help them, support them with their learning and, and interests. My parents live far away, so they do come and visit and stay for a bit when they can. And then otherwise, you know, my parents love to give gifts, especially my mom. And the great thing that really helps is that it's usually gifts that are needed and that are used. So whether it's books whether it's winter gear for the kids, uh, sports equipment, things like that, that may cost, but really helps uh, useful gifts for life and learning. That's um, something for us that we do. And, you know, my husband as well, sometimes he takes on extra seasonal work to help supplement things. You know, really, it's just a shift in how we live uh, and our, the way our lifestyle is. I know other families that also utilize world schooling as a way to live cheaply in homeschool uh, because for some travel, depending where they live, travel allows them to live more affordably uh, when they, for example, rent out their home and they travel or stay in a relatively inexpensive country. I just had a podcast episode with a gentleman, Renan. He 
actually this family now lives in Bali and that was a it's a great one to listen to because he actually gives specific tips on what his family did and ways that you can live cheaply in a place like Bali. He says that's actually a mecca for world schoolers because you can live at a fraction of the cost that you would in something in North America and Europe, in a place in North America or Europe. Uh, I also interviewed another parent who is a friend of mine, Jamie Salonen, and I think their episode is called uh, Leaving the Rat Race. They're a full-time world schooling family. And again, I will reference these episodes in the show notes. That's a great one to check out. She talks about how they travel affordably with house sitting and homestays when they travel and how they got down to more of a bare minimum. They have rental properties that supplement their income, but they also run a business online while they world school with their daughters. There are many homeschooling families that own their own businesses, and that allows them to be flexible. Maybe one parent will work out of the home at a time while the other parent stays home and they may switch off. But many families now have online businesses that allow them to be flexible and to work from home. I had a guest on the show a while back, Leah McDermott, and she's a former teacher turned unschooling parent. And she actually runs an online business where she creates curriculum and classes for homeschoolers and educators to use. She conducts workshops, and she's also now expanding, I think, into like a courses, coaching courses for homeschooling parents. But she works from home while unschooling their sons, and her husband has a job outside of the home. And I know when she does travel for work, her husband makes sure he's available to be home with the with the boys. So that's a good episode to check out, or you can also check out her website, yournaturallearner.com. Rachel Rainbolt is another guest that I had on the show that runs an online business from her home and her husband works out of the home. And Rachel's a parenting and homeschooling coach and a course creator. And I know for the Rainbolt family, they are very big on minimalism. And on Rachel's Instagram, she talks a lot about how they've paid off their debt and how they live a simple, low-cost life. And they've done things like they've chosen to move to a city that's a more affordable city for them. They have an in-law suite attached to their house that they rent out to her father, And they just live with very defined financial outcomes. So those are some examples of families, how they've changed things to do things differently so that they can home educate. Other families, maybe one parent has a strong, is a strong income earner and that allows the other parent to stay home. Some families where this is just not possible for either. I know of other families that have created schools, micro schools or alternative schools so that they can support their learning values, but still have some financial support for their family. Mara Leineberger was a past guest on my show. She's actually been on the show twice. And the second episode on micro schools, she talks exactly about that. A place for parents who want to create a specific learning environment, but they can't homeschool. So they create a micro school and she works with parents on why and how to build a micro school. She actually is a consultant and her Facebook page is an excellent resource. Microbuilders is her Facebook page. So I encourage you to go to there. You can contact Mara as well. Tell her I sent you. But she has some great information. And she has a Microbuilders book as well on a how-to to help you start that micro school process. And I will link those in the show notes. Another example is Michelle Goulet, who was another guest on my show. She's a parent who decided to homeschool her children. And in the end, she created a wonderful forest school that really works with her children's needs and others in the community. It's Wild Child in the Woods, and this school supports the community and unique learners. 
So those are some examples of how parents have just kind of created a different situation in order to accommodate homeschooling or unschooling or natural learning. And I do know that there are some countries that help homeschoolers with some government funding. And depending where you live, what country you live or area, you would just have to research that. I know many government websites, if you put in government homeschooling, depending where you are, they will give that information. Here in Canada, where I live, there are some provinces that offer funding per child toward homeschooling costs and expenses, and that varies per province. Sometimes that's a base amount that's given in exchange for the receipts. I know in the U.S., or I understand that there were some states that were allowing you to claim some homeschool expenses. Again, you'd have to check this out. I don't know if this still applies uh, or if laws have been adjusted, but this is something to look into. And if you're looking to create like a micro school or alternative school program, there are ways that you can do it as well. Depending where you live, there is some government support, whether it's education funding help or startup funding that would help you create that or to help you set that up. So there's different avenues to pursue. I think it really is different per family and what will work for you as well. So the next question is, what happens when you want to home educate or unschool, but your spouse or partner is not on the same page? Yeah, this is a great question and one that actually I hear quite often. Maybe one parent starts learning about homeschooling or unschooling, or they meet others that are doing it, get really excited, delve into the research and the learning, start reading all about it, get up to speed, and are so excited, but they're spouse or their partner has not done the same thing, has not had the same experience, so therefore they're just in a different place. I mean, this is important because this one's about co-parenting and raising children, raising children together. And a partner, a spouse, or a parent of a child has a say in their child's lives. And yeah, when a partner is not on board or opposed, it can make the home difficult or uncomfortable. It can cause tension. And I find usually that when this happened, a person, if a person's opposed, there's usually fears around homeschooling or unschooling, or there's a lack of information or knowledge around it. And of course, when you have a lack of information or knowledge, then there is no understanding. So what do you do? I think part of it is, you know, you actually should really sit down and, and think through and communication is the biggest thing, because do you want to let your attachment to homeschooling or unschooling get in the way of your relationship? is point blank question that you have to ask. You know, many in homeschooling and unschooling talk about homeschooling or unschooling being a lifestyle choice, not just an education choice because it involves every aspect of your family life. Your parenting, learning, values, belief, communication and connection. And connection and relationships is a huge part of the home educating, natural learning and unschooling journey. Well, no, it's a huge part of the learning journey, whether you are in school or not. A huge part of it is the foundation is connection and relationships. And the relationships that our children are surrounded by in their environment absolutely affect their learning. So, you know, the relationship that is a big one for them, usually the relationship that between their parents, you want that one to be a relationship that's a working example for them. That's building trust and open dialogue because, you know, so many times they model what we do as well. So maybe in the beginning, the point is going to be around building the open communication with your spouse or partner or parent of your child first. Maybe it's refocusing on connection and opening dialogue because people are, 
usually heading in the same direction, but our individual paths in that direction or on that journey can vary greatly. And we are all at our own place at different times. So my suggestion would be maybe address the fears that your partner or spouse or the parent has. And these fears could be a variety of things. Maybe your partner wants just to spend more time with you and having kids and starting a family, you know, your time and your space gets really divided and maybe that they're worried that then taking this on may overtake your relationship. Uh, Maybe they have strongly held beliefs around school and learning and what it means to learn. Did they come from a family, family where academics or grades were strongly tied to a person's status or value or how many degrees that they have? And therefore, they only understand a certain way and structure of learning. And that's what they want their kids to achieve as well. You know, maybe they were homeschooled themselves. And for some reason, they suffered a bad experience. Or maybe they know someone who was homeschooled who didn't have a great experience. And that's their reference point. These are all questions to ask and find out. But always also remember that a space needs to be created in order to ask these questions and for the receiver of these questions to feel safe answering them. And I do understand that sometimes when someone is opposed to something that we want to do, we're excited about or want to experience. And, you know, sometimes we can take it personally as a put down, whether it is or not. But, you know, sometimes in our experience, we may, you know, the fight flight freeze. We may choose to ignore it. We may fight it or we may run away from it. But this is all something that if this is in the home environment, this is something our kids are part of. And, you know, we want to create a safe space for everyone in the home environment. So if we're addressing fears, asking what the concerns are, and, you know, maybe it's easier to provide information from that place from being able to answer those fears and concerns. And now the great thing is there are so many resources and avenues for information. There are articles, books, podcasts, or videos. I actually have a resource page on my website where I keep an ongoing list of books, podcasts, and interviews that have helped our family along in this journey. So you can go to the resources page on my website and there's a list. I've tried to divide it up into parenting, into learning, into homeschooling, different parts like that. Another great introduction is introduction to homeschooling or unschooling is setting up a casual meetup where it allows your partner or spouse or parent of your child to speak or hang out with other homeschoolers or unschoolers so they can get the firsthand experience. And it may also give them a chance to ask questions in a casual environment to someone other than you, which might help as well. And it might be a chance for them to connect with others that are living that experience so that they have someone else that they can maybe reach out to and ask questions to. And it gives them a chance to see that scary idea of weird unsocialized homeschoolers, (laughs) what it's like, their firsthand own personal experience. And so they may respond really well to that or they may not. They just might need more time. They might need more information, and that's something that you would have to gauge and find out. And I think a lot of times that's it, is just giving some time and some space instead of jumping in right away. And you most likely know your spouse, partner, or um, parent of your child better and what will be helpful for them. And sometimes, you know, it's about compromise uh, in the beginning. Maybe it's a slow entry. Maybe you can say, well, Maybe it's about they want them to have space to go to another 
place other than home. So maybe there's a school available or a play-based school that your child can attend two to three days a week, and then the rest of the time they're home with you. Or maybe homeschooling, you can do it on a, let's try it for a year basis. Let's go by year by year, and we can give space for that process. Or maybe it's about giving space to your spouse or partner or parent of your child to have more input in the home education or unschooling process. Would they like to have a day or half a day with the kids exploring and doing other things and helping support their learning? And the great thing about that then is then they also can give you the space to do what you need to do too. Would they like to have some input on the lessons or lesson planning? Maybe it's not even, maybe their fear is just around the word unschooling. Maybe that's just too far out for them. Maybe they are willing to have a compromise where they maybe do a little bit of traditional schooling and then they have more freedom for other things because they just need a slow entry point into that. You know, maybe that's what they're more comfortable approach. The approach is a lot more comfortable for them that way. Really, it's about working together. How can you best work together? So I can give an example, personal example from my family. My husband is a great support. And although I'm the primary home educating parent, he still does quite a bit as well, especially when I'm away for work. And, you know, there are times when we have disagreed on things. Absolutely. We come from different experiences. So we are not going to always agree exactly on the same thing. And, you know, sometimes he has wanted the kids to do something that I feel maybe is not exactly on the natural learning path. So I ask him why he wants to do things a certain way. So, you know, I'll ask him why he maybe is wants to do things a certain way. And he's really honest about it. And he'll say, express what his concerns or fears may be. And I don't just say, thank you, I heard you, but I'm just going to keep doing things this other way. But we talk about it. And uh, sometimes we will try it. You know, we talk about it with our kids first. And my husband will discuss it with them. And let us know or let them know, you know, what he's feeling and uh, ask if maybe we can try something another way, which we are always open to. So to give you a little bit of background example, my husband was homeschooled for about four to five years from elementary school into junior high. He went back to school in about grade eight. And he actually loved his homeschooling experience. And he credits his writing and writing career to being homeschooled. Because when he was homeschooled, he was given so much space and time to read and write. And this was a skill that he really was able to develop and uh, pursue and develop well. But his one uncertainty was math. And at the time, his mom was fairly apprehensive about math because she felt it was her most difficult subject. So he says that when they homeschooled, they didn't put a lot of focus on it, although they definitely did things like baking and and other practical application. But we also have to remember that this was also many years ago, and there was not as much development on how the brain learns math, on making mistakes and the importance of building neural pathways, and on problem solving and real world application in math. So it was more the old school workbook textbook approach. And it was as well the, f- the felt fear and uncertainty around math, not the actual ability. Because, you know, my husband is actually, he's really, really good at math and he enjoys math. Same with my mother-in-law, with his mom. And same with my brother-in-law, who's fantastic at math and he runs his own business and uses it all the time in everyday life. And an interesting side note is my mother-in-law is actually a teacher. She 
after homeschooling, she went back to school. She actually had not finished her high school. So she got her, finished her high school. She upgraded. She received her degree and um, she became a teacher in those years. And then she later became a teacher with a master's in math education. Go figure. So anyways, that's another great story. Actually, it'd be great to have her on the show, wouldn't it? A teacher, a homeschooling parent, and my mother-in-law. So let me know what you think if you'd be interested in hearing her and I can talk to her more about it. But back to the story. So my husband returned to school in grade eight, and he says that he felt that math was a subject that he struggled with the most. And he said it was mainly because of the way they taught math in school. And he still has a little bit of math anxiety that arises. And so at this particular time, he had said that was his request. He had, it was his math fear. And he said he didn't want our kids to feel the way that he felt at that time, even though he does understand that it's, you know, it's so much about understanding that it's learning how to learn and that you have the ability to to take that and, and learn what you need to learn. And there were other factors as well that he recognizes that were going on his, in his life too. So he talked to me about this fear and that he didn't want our kids to feel the way he did. He wants them to feel capable and successful. And you know what? I get that. We're parents. Of course, we want our kids to be capable and feel capable and be successful. So, you know, what did we do? And at that point, we decided our kids had already been using some Khan Academy for other subjects and for math sometimes as well. So the four of us, we as a family, we we talked a little bit more about that and how my husband was feeling. And we said we'd try working with Khan Academy on a more regular basis. So with specific goals to accomplish. And our kids decided to work at completing a grade level at a time with Khan Academy, doing math on Khan Academy. So is this unschooling? Some would say, no, it's not in schooling because we're following that Khan Academy math program and with a specific goal. But do you know what is unschooling in this situation? It's working on communication in the family. It's working on our connection. It's working on agreement and solving a fear, addressing a fear and concern and solving a problem. It's building trust. It's finding solutions together as a family. It's our kids setting their own goals, and this looks at what is required and then deciding, you know, they say, okay, you know, actually I want to do this amount and I'm going to complete it by April, or I'm going to complete all of this by May. So they plan how much they want to do per week or per day. And then their other request is that I'm with them when they do that, that I sit by them when we do the work and help when we need and yes, I absolutely do that. I'm happy to to help with that and support them. And it's been fun. And you know what? I've relearned a lot of things. And I've been surprised at the things I do know and really clearly understand. And it's also reminded me of some of my own experiences in school and in math in particular that I've had a chance to share with my kids. And you know what else? My husband has started doing his own Khan Academy math work, and he does a little bit every day. And it's pretty cool to see. So there's a personal example. And I hope you can use that and uh, take that with you. And there's a few other things that I do. And and these things as well, I can go into more detail in another episode if you want another Q&A. You know, for example, I, if you might know, I have my Instagram account, my personal Instagram called Unschooling Robin, where I share our learning experiences and examples of what we do in our daily life. I also keep a private Facebook group and I've had that for quite a few years. The original idea was to document our learning for our homeschooling board. 
that we're registered with and also for family that lives far away from us because we have family that lives all over the world. And it was a chance for them to keep up with what we're doing and what the kids are doing. And that private homeschooling group has just slowly grown to others that had questions that wanted to hear more about what we were doing. So I added them and others that wanted to share their own learnings and are curious and wanted to learn more. And it's been the biggest has been for family to see the cool things that we as unschoolers do that other unschoolers and homeschoolers do in their daily life. So I do have that private Facebook group and that's a great way to document our learning. So I feel like I've been talking a lot um, and I think it's time to conclude this episode. I hope I've been able to answer the questions clearly enough for you. If you have more questions, please ask. And again, if you enjoyed this Q&A episode, I will do more. If you're open to that, just let me know. I just love to hear the feedback from you. And I can continue to answer more of the questions that listeners and others have sent in. So have a great day. Don't forget to check the Patreon link. And I'm looking forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. 